I'm Tommy Salmons. This is year zero. Been a lot of talk about Iran last few weeks. And uh, I'm going to do a little quick overview of the history with Iran, but in America, where these tensions come from. And the idea that that sanctions are are supposed to be the cure for for our problems, as most of you well know, in 1953, Iran took control and nationalized their their oil fields, and that put an end to the Anglo-Iranian oil company, now known as BP, operating in their country. Alan Dulles, the head of the CIA at the time, was extremely embarrassed that his friends with the Anglo-Iranian oil company began losing money. So he sent in the CIA to organize a coup in Iran, overthrow the government, and install a dictator friendly to American interests, American corporate interests, not the interest of the American people. What what they've done in in this aspect is they've turned around and they've made it seem like if these large corporations if um, Boeing and Grumman and Exxon and BP and all these corporations are making money then that is a net benefit for the citizens of the country. Excuse me. And they've tied so much of production and so much of business to these corporations, giving these corporations power to write their own legislation and their own regulations to keep small competitors out of the market by implementing licensing and and fines and regulatory advisory boards and yada, yada, yada that cost so much money, only those that have made fortunes by piggybacking on the government and piggybacking on the Federal Reserve are capable of continuous enterprise around the world. Excuse me. <clears throat> the 
the idea well there are still every once in a while you get a company that pops up and that finds a loophole finds a way to bypass the system finds a way to to make their way in the system but for the most part this this cronyism that that we saw in 1953 Alan Dulles using the CIA to further enrich his friends is continuing today. Now, after 26 years after the coup, after the installation of a friendly government, the Iranian people rose up and took back their country. Since that time, tensions between the two countries, Iran and America, have been really intense. And Obama's administration was the first to get past all these tensions since Reagan and the Iran-Contra fiasco. Now, Iran-Contra fiasco, as I like to call it, a fiasco, scandal, whatever you want to call it, was uh, the United States was selling weapons illegally to Iran using Israel as a middleman because at the time, Israel and Iran were all buddy-buddy. They were helping each other out. They were real close friends. That changed in the 90s during the Clinton administration. Israel, on a whim, for whatever reason, decided Iran was the most dangerous country in the world. And that that was the biggest threat to Israel and the existence of Israel was the fact that Iran was an independent, sovereign nation. Not tied to Israel, not beholden to the United States. Um, they, they were operating freely. They were operating as a sovereign nation would operate for their own interests. And they had allied with Israel for many years. But for whatever reason, and I couldn't tell you any exact reason, Israel changed their mind on the, on the subject. And, and since then, you hear every couple of years, you hear the prime minister of Israel, Netanyahu now, will come out. Iran's only five years away from a nuclear weapon. I think Iran's been five years away from a nuclear weapon for the last 25 years. But you hear it all the time. They're getting, they're close to having a nuclear weapon. And if they get a nuclear weapon, they're going to wipe Israel off the map. That's what their entire goal is. That's what they live to do. That's all they want in this world is to wipe Israel off the map. Unfortunately for Israel... And for the United States, there's 
never been any evidence of Iran pursuing a nuclear weapon. Do they have nuclear technologies? Yes. They have nuclear technologies. But they do not have the technologies to produce a nuclear weapon as evidenced by anything that has shown up in the past. Then after 9-11 in 2003, the Bush administration decided to go into Iraq. And the Bush administration went into Iraq, overthrew the Sunni regime, and the Shiite, Iranian-connected Shiites, took control of the nation. Israel and Saudi Arabia were very unhappy about this. They did not like Shiite, quote-unquote, Hamas-connected, Iran-connected Shiite running Iraq. So now the U.S. had to go back in and clean that up because whether you want to hear it or not, the Israel lobby has a lot of power in the United States. The Israel lobby is where all the talking points that are against the Iran nuclear deal come from the Israel lobby, come from their subsidiaries, 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 subsidiaries and venture firms that are in bed with the Israel lobby. APAC, the Israel Project, also called TIP, and they they spend a lot of money and they funnel a lot of money into American politics in order to get their way. One of their top money people, top donors is Sheldon Adelson. You remember correctly during the campaign it was uh, Trump was talking about Marco Rubio and he had pointed out that hey Sheldon Adelson has attached himself to Marco Rubio because he believes that if he gives him money that Rubio will do anything that Adelson wants him to do. One long after that, Marco Rubio dropped out of the race for the presidency. And uh, Sheldon Adelson eventually attached himself to Donald Trump. And it looks really funny that the Iron the Israel lobby continues to push this notion that Iran 
is their biggest threat and Iran is their biggest enemy. And the more they push that, those talking points, that narrative, the worse relations between the U.S. and Iran become. Trump has continued to tighten the sanctions on Iran. He's made it nearly impossible for Iran to trade with anybody with these sanctions. And it just got me to thinking about the history of sanctions in in the United States. The War of 1812, the British had placed sanctions on the United States, economic sanctions, economic warfare, so to speak. And that led to a hot war in which the U.S. and the British fought. British ended up burning down the White House, yada, yada, yada. U.S. once again kicked those red coats' ass. And then, and then I started thinking about World War II and the bombing of Pearl Harbor and how Franklin Roosevelt had been looking at, since the start of the war, Franklin Roosevelt had been looking for a way to involve America in the war in order to help Britain because he had a dislike for Germany and the Japanese. But no matter what bait he put out there to get Germany to attack U.S. soldiers or U.S. ships or aircraft or whatever, Germany wouldn't bite. They just wouldn't bite. They wouldn't give in. They weren't going to involve themselves in in fighting the U.S. They wanted no part in this. So he saw another way into the war. So he started implementing sanctions on Japan. And he started cutting off all their trade partners and making it impossible for Japan to survive knowing that he would eventually lure the Japanese into an attack on the U.S. And he got it. We ended up with Pearl Harbor. That gave an excuse to enter the war and As they say, the rest is history. In all in all these instances, for the most part, the majority of the country 
the majority of the U.S. has been opposed to entering these wars. But the elite, those in Washington, have found ways to propagandize. And it's always pretty much the same routine. They lie about this. They lie about that. And as soon as they get the war drums beating, the um, the American people are cheering on their soldiers and cheering on the troops. And we got to kick such and such as ass. All those narratives, all those lies just fade into the background. We're supposed to have forgotten about them. We're supposed to have forgotten about babies on bayonets that got us into World War One. We're supposed to forget about throwing babies out of incubators that got us into Iraq one. We're supposed to forget about weapons of mass destruction. We're supposed to forget about all these things and just wait on their next set of lies. Lies that John Bolton admitted that he would tell if it was in the best interest of national security. Well, given that national security is all about American interest and national security are all about corporate interests and what's good for corporations, then, yeah, why not? Why why wouldn't they be lying to us about Iran? But there were some six, what was six tankers that were attacked a couple of weeks ago. And it's, um, the attack hadn't even ended. They were already pointing the finger. Iran did it. We don't even need to investigate. Iran did it. And they sell this narrative. They sell this narrative. They sell this narrative. Left, right, and center. They get every news outlet, every media organization, New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, all writing and talking about the same thing. Iran. How bad is Iran? Look what Iran did. The investigation is not done. It's still taking place. But by the time that the investigations wrapped up and there's they figured out who's actually responsible, Iran or not, it doesn't matter. It would have all faded into the background. Everybody would have already bought it. They already bought the propaganda. It's all all the work's been done. There's no need in revisiting the past. Let's not mess up our our talking points, our reasons for war. We'll just keep pushing the same narrative. And it doesn't matter how many years later the truth comes out. Nobody's going to want to talk about it because that's all said and done. But what nobody, nobody wants to talk about, nobody really wants to say anything about is all these sanctions that we put that we've been putting on Iran that was the first act of war 
Jimmy Carter confiscating their money in the middle of a, a weapons deal, money that the UN had decided that United States must pay back. That money, that was, that was the first act of war. The CIA committing a coup in Iran, that was the first act of war. Fact is, Iran has only been responding. And yeah, they shot down a drone, an unmanned drone. Was, I think I heard something like it was like a $20 million drone or something like that. I don't know. Seems ridiculous. But yeah, it was near or in Iranian airspace. That's still unclear. Iran swears it was in their airspace. The U.S. saying, oh, well, no, it was near their airspace, but it was in international airspace. Then I heard somebody else come out and say, well, it may, there may have been a malfunction. There may have been a problem, a miscommunication. It may have crossed into Iranian airspace. We don't know. And the United States military was ready to attack Iran. Ten minutes before the attack was to take place, Donald Trump called it off because he didn't want to be responsible for killing 150 Iranians over the death of a robot. I'm not sure I blame him for that. Actually, I don't blame him for that. I think that was the right call. I think he did the right thing. I think he should lift the sanctions and open up trade. And that would end all this crap. That would end the possibility of our children and our friends going to die in a foreign nation in the name of another country. Because Israel wants us to. Because it's in the best interest of Israel or business interests. They want our children to go die. They want our brothers and sisters, our friends and family to go die. To make sure that they can still make money. That's what it's all about. They just want to make money. They don't care about the people. I can tell you this much, Clinton, Hillary Clinton would have never called it off. She definitely doesn't care about the people. And even giving Donald Trump that credit, it didn't take long for him to start to come out, what, three, four days later, and start threatening Iran again. And at first I was like, Jesus, man, this guy, this, this is going to go bad. But then I started thinking about it, and I'm like, wait, he, he's got a pattern here. He does this. Tensions get all escalated. North Korea and United States are all pointing weapons at each other. Donald Trump calls out, 
comes out and calls Kim little rocket man and threatens to blow North Korea to kingdom come. Kim agrees to sit down and negotiate. And all the tensions die down. So now he's trying the same thing with Iran. Now, I don't, I don't know if John Bolton is telling Trump that this tactic is going to work again with the Khamenei. But I think he's got to look at it as the Khamenei has more leverage than Kim ever did. See, because Iran is still trade partners with with Japan and China and all these other countries. North Korea never was really friendly with these countries, with a bunch of other countries. Other countries tolerated North Korea because they thought Kim was insane and that there was no telling what he would do. But Iran actually has pretty decent relations in trade with other other nations. And other nations have already stepped up and said, screw your sanctions. We're going to keep trading with Iran. The UN even asked the U.S. to lift sanctions temporarily so that they could help with the flooding that Iran had suffered. So either John Bolton is feeding Trump this information that the Khamenei will be just like Kim. Or Trump is so arrogant that he doesn't think everybody in this world can see that he has one trick up his sleeve when it comes to making a deal. And what's funny is they call... Iran called him out. They called him out on it. They came out and they made a statement that let me let me read it real quick to make sure. This is from the AP. This is the Associated Press Twitter hand, uh, Twitter page. Breaking, Iran's President Rouhani mocks President Trump, says the White House is afflicted by mental retardation. Apparently, Iran's not playing his game. I don't think they're going to play his game. So what's the next move? Does Trump completely give in to the Israel lobby and we go to war with Iran? Is this an appropriate time to go to war? Is this an appropriate reason to go to war? Now, fortunately, there's a couple of decent congressmen that are trying to attach an amendment to this year's NDAA that says that Congress must vote to go to war with Iran that we're not leaving this in the hands of a president, that this is something that Congress must vote on. 
And Mitch McConnell says that he's open to the idea of, of the amendment and that he's open to the idea of debating uh, whether or not Congress should be voting on this or not. But he also said that it doesn't look good because the Iranians are going to know that they're arguing over this, so they should make it really quick. But at least there are some people in Congress stepping up saying, yo, hello, read the Constitution. The war powers are in the hands of the Congress. We got to vote on this. We have to vote to declare war. This isn't a presidential decision. This isn't an executive matter. This is a congressional matter. And given that there are at least a few in there stomping the brakes, maybe there will be enough people in society in America that see what's going on, that see that we can't trust a single person with these powers. And the executive should not be making these decisions independently whether we like that executive or not and all those people that were calling Obama weak for not attacking Syria are suddenly defending Trump for not attacking Iran as all the mainstream media outlets, these corporate media conglomerates call Trump weak and all beat the drums of war, trying to propagandize the American people into yet another war, a much bloodier war. A war that would possibly end up being a war of attrition lasting another couple of decades with a Vietnam type atmosphere and even if Iran were the ones who bombed those tankers. It was done in such a way, such non-conventional way, that the U.S. should step back and say, hold up. Though Iran does have a very good conventional army they have the ability to fight unconventional methods and the United States has never done good against guerrilla forces just don't have a really good track record when it comes to fighting guerrilla forces do you think the children of those Iranians that took their country back in 1979 
are going to sit on their hands and twiddle their thumbs while the U.S. bombs their country? While the U.S. invades? I doubt it. We're going to have another Afghanistan on our hands. Another Vietnam on our hands. Whereas, except this time, you're going to have a military force you're fighting and guerrilla forces that you're fighting. Or terrorist organizations. No, they're guerrilla forces. ISIS is a guerrilla force. Al-Qaeda it's a guerrilla force. This is guerrilla warfare. This is what they're doing. This is what they're participating in. And the United States military is not designed to fight a guerrilla war. So when is it appropriate to go to war? Congress has to vote on it as per the Constitution. But when is it appropriate that Congress vote to send people to war, to die. That's what they're doing. They're saying, you can go die for this cause. Which causes are worth that? Which causes are worth mothers and fathers losing children, brothers and sisters losing siblings, wives losing husbands, husbands losing wives, children losing parents. What cause? What cause is worth that? Fighting for Anglo-Iranian oil company? Fighting on behalf of Israel? Sorry, I just don't buy it. If there is a just cause for war, it would be that the country going to war is is in peril, is in danger without the war. That you must fight to defend yourself against an invading force. That's cause for war. Some resources, getting rich, getting your friends rich, that's not a cause for war. I have a son about to join the Marines. I don't want him going to die for for Boeing so Boeing can get rich. Northrop Grumman makes a little bit of extra money. That's not what I want him to go die for. If he goes over there and he gives his life in another country fighting a war, the war should be worth it. It should be a war worth fighting. Not a war of special interests. Not a war of greed. It should be a preservation of Freedom, sovereignty, and liberty. Not 
because Israel paid a bunch of congressmen so the United States military can act as a security force for Israel or a vigilante group or whatever, whatever you want to call it, or mercenaries. The United States military is not a Merck organization in place in order to enrich and empower Israel. That's not their place. Now I've heard people say, well, there are allies. Okay. But George Washington did warn us, right? In his farewell address, didn't he warn, didn't he warn the entire nation? All future generations to come, he warned them all, warned us all. That entangling alliances, tying yourself to an ally so tightly that you begin to go to war for that ally is dangerous. Tying yourself to an ally so tightly that you give up trading openly with other nations because that ally has a problem with another nation? That's stupid. So I don't know where it goes from here. I don't foresee Khamenei or Rouhani giving in to Trump. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think these guys are dug in. And they're like, yeah. The deal you had, the one you tore up, that was the best deal you were going to get. And trust me, that was a sweet deal because that money that Carter stole from Iran, that was the money that America was paying Iran. They were returning their money. Money that the U.S. had had frozen, had taken control of and frozen. They were giving them. So basically, the deal was, I will pay you with your money if you do what I want you to do. And Iran said, okay. You don't get a better deal than that. You're not going to get a better deal than that. I don't know who Trump thinks he is. Well, I know he thinks he is. But he's not going to get a better deal. There's not a better deal. Sorry. So. I'm interested to see where this this is going to go. I don't suspect it's going to end up in war. I suspect Trump is going to fold. Because he really does not have a choice. His choices are he can fold, he can go back to the original deal, which I don't think Iran will give him again. 
I think it was too good to be true the first time, let alone getting it a second time. So he can structure a new deal, but I guarantee you it will not be the deal that we had. Or he can he can go he can send a bunch of Americans, a bunch of our children, our friends, our family to die and to murder in the name of greed and corporate interests. Or he could just fold and say, huh, whatever. We're back where we were in the Bush administration because I failed and I was unable to get a deal done. But those seem like the only three options moving forward. Either way, Trump's going to fail and he's going to try to sell it as a win. Because there's not a winning hand here. The best hand he's going to get is the exact same deal that Obama had signed. So we'll see. But his strategy is pretty transparent. And if he doesn't think that everybody can see right through him and exactly how he operates by this point in time, then he's just an arrogant douchebag. All right. Well, that's it for the night. I'm glad y'all were patient. I hope I covered everything properly. I was trying to make sure that I kept all my talking points right in a row and what I wanted to touch on. My dog needs to get out. He's begging me. He's been begging me for attention, so he needs to get out. So I'll shout at y'all on Monday. Late.